Hi everyone, I'm Amber Rose, the Religious Hippie, and welcome to A Catholic's Perspective. For those of you just finding this podcast, let me tell you a little about myself. I was born and raised a cradle Catholic until I fell away from the church for eight years. I just recently came back to the church and I could not be happier with where I am today. I am currently a junior in college and I'm studying graphic design. I am an ambassador for multiple amazing Catholic Christian companies and I love working with all of them. Now, some of you may already know me from my popular religious hippie social media channels, such as TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I have all kinds of Catholic content on there, so don't forget to go check those out. So the reason I wanted to start a podcast was so that I'd be able to have a longer format which people could listen to from wherever they are. I particularly wanted to address issues that young Catholics face today in the secular world, and I want to do that by providing information along with commentary and even a little of my own opinion. I can't lie, from time to time I might be discussing very controversial issues, and some will find my opinions unappealing. But I do this out of my faith and service to God. We must keep communicating with each other, respecting each other, and put each other on the path to sainthood. I think you'll enjoy the podcasts coming up, and I thank you for being here with me. Hi, everyone. I'm Amber Rose, also known as the Religious Hippie. Hi, this is Todd from the Quest Podcast. Hi, I'm Father Dan, a.k.a. The Karate Priest. Welcome, everyone. How's it going, Todd? Amber? It's good to see you. It's good to see you guys. It's been a while. So this is a special episode that we're doing today. I wanted to produce a podcast episode that had the three of us all on together as guests on each other's shows. So this episode we're doing today will be heard across all our platforms. So that gives us gives our listeners, I think, a chance to uh, experience Amber's podcast if they haven't listened to that or to experience Father Dan's or to see mine for the first time. So we all kind of had this topic we wanted to to do an episode on. So it just made sense to do it all as one together. And today's topic is sins and confession. So mm-hmm. Father Dan, maybe you could um, kick this off for us for people, the listeners out there that may not necessarily be Catholic or just really don't understand this process or have been away from the church for a while. Let's talk a little bit about what sins are and what confession is. Yes. So um, confession is probably one of the most well-known characteristics of Catholicism. I think culturally, most people, you know, when they hear that word confession associated with Catholics, um, I think you look at things like movies and popular culture. Um, Even, you know, I think uh, there's a, a Todd, you might be able to help me with this. There's a rock band and like the one of the lyrics is I have a confession to make or something like that. Um, there's a meme on Facebook always going around with that. Um, but yeah, so confession is one of our seven sacraments in the Catholic Church. Um, it's specifically known as one of the two sacraments of healing um, going along with anointing of the sick. The sacrament of confession has several names. We call it confession. We call it the sacrament of reconciliation. Uh, we also call it the sacrament of penance. So with that, confession um, essentially uh, is where you tell your sins to a priest and the priest um, gives you a suitable penance. And that's why we call it the sacrament of penance, because he gives you kind of this um, something to do in restitution for your sins, whether it be prayers or some kind of act of charity or, or something in a sense to help undo the sins. And then after that, the priest will then give the penitent absolution. Um, and so that's what we're talking about here is bringing our sins to the priest and 
Uh, and then there's also a fundamental question of why somebody would do that. Uh, and, and this is something that Jesus says, you know, uh, he gives us this uh, in the scriptures and we hear, especially in the, the letter to St. James, you know, it says, confess your sins to one another, whose sins you forgive are forgiven, whose sins you uh, retain are retained. Um, and so with that, this is something that the Lord told us to do. Um, and so uh, with that, that is in, in a nutshell, the sacrament of reconciliation. Amber, you, you participate in confession. Is that right? Of course. <laughs> I have to. I, uh, often. <laughs> yes. it, is it really kind of, is it done in the way you see it depicted in, say, a movie? I mean, you're going into a little phone booth box and the, you don't see the priest's face. Like, what's the process of it? What do you do? How long do you spend in there? Tell, tell, us, tell the listeners about that. Yeah. So when I first came back into my faith about two years ago now, um, my first confession was pretty long <laughs> because it's been, it was about eight years. And so eight years of, you know, sins built up. It took a while. My priest probably had to go get drinks afterwards, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> so it, that took about probably about 10 minutes right there. Um, but now that I'm back in the swing of things and I go to confession every two weeks, I do it with a confessor. So if you don't have a confessor, you would probably do it behind the screen. You'd go into the booth and you would do it behind the screen and they wouldn't see you. You wouldn't see them. Um, but because I do have a confessor, I do face-to-face -face or the screen. It doesn't really matter. And Sometimes what, what, is, what is a confessor? A confessor is a priest that you solely confess your sins to. So okay, gotcha. that's the person you specifically go to. You don't go to any other priest and they get to know you. So they get to know what penances work best for you and how to better aid you in your spiritual life. Um, and so sometimes we have um, a confession session, as I like to call them, in uh, this little show or something face to face. Other times it's in the confessional. I see. I see. Father Dan is, is so, you know, she mentioned having a confessor, someone you would regularly go to. This to me sounds like, you know, almost like a psychiatrist. So is confession, is it therapy like going to a psychiatrist? Is it more of a punishment or is it just more being listened to? What would you say the core of that is? Uh, so that's sense? not exactly, yeah. It's not really a black and white answer there. Um, one of the things that we're taught as priests who hear confessions is to kind of diagnose, just like, you know, we, we say we're doctors of souls, you know, we're trying to diagnose why is this person here? Uh, and sometimes they know exactly why they're there and they will express that themselves. Um, sometimes it's more of, a, of a, a guessing game for the priest as to figure out why is this person really here? There are some people that you can tell they come in for confession. It's more like a routine checkup. You know, they're coming in, you know, it, their confessions maybe, uh, the last confession was maybe two weeks ago or a month ago and they're coming in, um, to just kind of get cleaned up, touch up, you know, a little pit stop. Uh, you have some people who come in um, who maybe have been away for a year, you know, and they're doing their yearly confession, which is one of the precepts of the church is to go to confession at least once a year, uh, especially during the Easter season. And so they're coming in with maybe a little bit more, you know, something, something of substance uh, to, to really kind of get off. And then you have some people who come in maybe after <laughs> five, 10 more years, Lord knows. I think one of the records I've had so far is 30 years being away from confession. Um, and these are people who are coming in sometimes looking for not just, you know, forgiveness for their sins and, and the absolution, but also in a sense, spiritual direction, which I think is kind of where we were going with, you know, is it like counseling or, you know, seeing a, a therapist? Um, there are some confessions that, uh, you know, I would tell people like, if you're coming in after a really long time of being away, 
um, that's a confession that I would prefer people to like to make an appointment with me for. Um, so that way we can actually spend like, you know, half an hour, hour for confession, you know, however long it takes, because, you know, there are some people who come in with different situations with their sins who need more help than I can give in sitting in the confessional, you know, 10, 15 minutes before mass. Um, so a lot of that on, on my part is diagnosing what exactly are they here for, and then trying to cater the confession based on that. Right, right. For, for the individual that's confessing, would you say confession is like an examination of their conscience? Amber, how do you feel after you have gone to confession? Or do you feel relieved for the day? Is it, are you examining how you're living your life? Like, what is that doing for the person? Yeah. So before I go to confession, I always do an examination of conscience, which is this list of basically the Ten Commandments and a list of venial mortal sins that you could commit. It it doesn't always cover every single sin ever, but it gives you a good in-depth idea and you can ask the Holy Spirit for guidance. So I do that before going to confession. Then during confession, I usually have a list of them and I'll, you know, tell them to the priest. And then afterwards, after um, you do your penance, because you need to be absolved and you, you get absolution, um, and you have to do your penance. Um, and so usually after my penance, I feel light and, and very relieved that once again, I'm in a state of grace and, um, I can now receive Jesus truly present in the Eucharist. Um, I guess in a, in a respectful manner, of course, being in the state of grace is really important. So, um, I would say I feel really kind of relieved and, and, uh, happy. There's, there's a sense of father Ripperger always used to say that a person who just got out of confession has a glow from the inside. Um, and that's, I can feel it. I, I can't see it, but I've had people tell me they see it and I just, I don't, but I can feel it. I see. I see. Father Dan, I think you mentioned in a, in an in interview you gave on my podcast, kind of the difference in, uh, maybe what, a therapist uh, confidentiality the therapist would have versus a priest and i think you mentioned if i hope i'm not wrong on this but i think it's what you said if someone comes in and confesses to you that they murdered someone you don't go to the police about that but a psychiatrist would is that accurate at least on my end that's correct you know we we can't say anything anything said in confession stays in confession um as far as a psychiatrist, uh, I'm not as familiar with with the I guess the degrees of confidentiality that they have. Um, so uh, with that, I, I think that you know I can't speak for them, but at least for on our end, yeah, we can't tell anybody. Um, so uh, you know there are con- you know sins that I've heard in confession where you know these would be considered felonies, <laughs> you know, and and the thing is like I can't do anything about it, you know, um, because the idea of the sacrament is is receiving like God's forgiveness, you know. Uh, a forgiveness that truly like wipes away the sin. Um, you do restitution with the penance, but that's it. Like I, I have no other part in that. And so there have been in, um, cases and, and even on my end here in Louisiana, there was a case in Baton Rouge where a priest was on trial um, and the courts were trying to get him to divulge what he heard in confession. Mm. And thankfully, um, you know, between our, our, our legal system, and especially because of the Catholic culture in this area, um, he was protected um, from not divulging things under the seal and didn't have to go to prison, you know? Um, so, uh, yeah, it, it, it's that serious where we will take that to the grave with us. We would go to prison before we would ever, um, divulge what we hear in confession. I think it speaks a lot to kind of your, you know, intestinal fortitude in a way to be able to, um, you know, listen to this, 
listen to people confess um, probably quite a lot and to have that with you and to have carry people's secrets like that is uh, is quite amazing yeah and and part of that for us is you know we're encouraged to you know as priests to say cleansing prayers um you know after hearing you know especially like a bulk of confessions if i'm in the confessional on a saturday you know hearing confessions for an hour before my vigil mass like mass confessions like that yeah we're encouraged to really do some cleansing prayers afterwards to really kind of help us with yeah, bearing the, just like the, the heaviness of people's sins, um, because that can weigh on you a lot. You know, there are times where, you know, you really feel the weight of people's sins and you're grieving with people, you know, um, and, uh, and, and that does sit with you. So you, we, you, we, we do have to take care of ourselves as priests um, in terms of, of the negativity uh, and, and the, just the, the heaviness of sins that we, we bear with people. We've talked a lot about um, the confession part of this, the process of this, but we haven't really gotten into sins that much. So are there types of sins? Let's talk about what a sin is. Is a, is a, you know, I think Amber and I were talking the other day about this, about like OMG could, you know, like the, the people use this constantly. Like what are small sins? What are big sins? Are there types of sins? Can you define those for me? I mean, if I just... Uh, don't hold the door open for someone. Is that a sin? Is that, you know, is it, is it like, how detailed does this get? Like, so we make distinctions specifically between two types of sins um, in terms of like the gravity of the sin. And that's venial sin and mortal sin. Uh, venial sin being the lesser ones, mortal sin being the ones um, that we say are more serious, you know, because in effect, it kind of kills our relationship with God. That's why we call it mortal sin. And so with that, when you're looking at, you know, what distinguishes one from the other, um, really with mortal sin, there's three conditions that you're looking at. You're looking at the, first of all, the act itself, like the subject uh, of, or the, or the, the matter that you're dealing with, with the, the specific act. You're looking at the intention um, that that act is committed with. And then you're also looking at the circumstances. Um, and so in many ways, that's what you're kind of dealing with, with mortal sin. Sometimes like, you know, even though you have grave matter, um, sometimes the intention is not present for someone to actually willfully commit these sins. Um, and so you're looking at, you know, varying scales of culpability. Um, but, you know, to determine that, yes, somebody committed grave matter with full intent um, and the circumstances really didn't pressure them to commit sin. You know, there really was no reason for them to not commit the sin. Uh, then in that case, yeah, you have a very clear mortal sin. And so confession especially is, is designed to forgive really any sins, but specifically mortal sins. Like we say venial sins can be forgiven um, in the mass itself, uh, but to, for, to have mortal sins absolved uh, requires the sacrament of confession or anointing of the sick. Anointing of the sick can also forgive mortal sins. And cursing is a sin? Oh yeah, you know, and that's the thing, you know, when you look at like uh, the, the scale of it, you know, is it mortal sin? Most of the time, I wouldn't necessarily say that. I, you know, when you look at, I guess, what type of cursing as well, you know, if you just, if you're playing Fortnite and dropping F-bombs or crying out loud, you know, I wouldn't say that's a mortal sin. Um, that would probably be more venial. Uh, but if you are like, like, like cursing, like actually putting a curse on somebody, you know, with the language, you know, really using that, you know, as uh, the anger, the frustration, the hate against somebody, um, that's where it probably crosses more into the line of mortal sin. It's, it's th- there you're intending something really, really evil, um, as opposed to just, you know, in, as an impulse, just dropping an F-bomb or something like that. When, and what about like uh, lying, cheating, stealing? These are all things you would confess, right? 
Uh, yeah, absolutely, because we have commandments that are very specific to these. And so, and kind of like what Amber mentioned too, doing an examination of conscience, one of the easiest ways to do that is to go through the commandments methodically. Um, and so with that, we have commandments, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, you know, um, all these things. So with that, yeah, you're looking at really the degree of like, okay, if you say like a little white lie, you know, um, then that might be more of a venial sin. Uh, but if you're lying about something like, you know, like this has to do with the grave matter, um, then that would, you know, definitely constitute probably more of a mortal sin. Now, people ask all the time, too, as a hypothetical situation. Actually, it wasn't so hypothetical back in World War II um, when you had people who were being persecuted by the Nazis um, and, and, you know, you had neighbors who were hiding uh, Jews. Uh, and the Nazis come to your door and ask, are you hiding Jews? You know, would you have a moral obligation to say yes? Um, at that point, you know, we would say, well, it's not so black and white here. You know, here there is a justification for, um, for lying and saying that, um, you know, for the sake of protecting somebody, this is where we now get into natural law theory and things like that. So you see how like the circumstances changes culpability. That would be adverse circumstances to where um, the matter is not so grave um, in terms of like that kind of lie. Um, but then also like the intention is to help preserve someone's life from someone who unjustly wants to take it. Uh, and then that's the circumstances. So that's kind of what we're looking at with situations like that. Um, <laughs> moral theology is not very black and white. So just, you know, we're dealing with a lot of gray, a lot of kind of muddiness here with this topic. When someone is in the confessional booth with you, Father Dan, is this a conversation that you're having with someone or is, are you listening more? Are you offering advice? What is, the, what is your process? Yes. <laughs> it's, a, it's really kind of all of the above. Do you um, ask questions? Yes. So the way it works on my end, um, you know, the person comes in um, and then, you know, we start with the sign of the cross, usually a little introduction. Um, and then I just tell them to go ahead and, and start naming their sins. Um, and so people who've been to confession regularly, like they just, they know how to come in, start all that and get off the ground. There's some people who may have been away for a while and need my help with, you know, kind of starting off like father, I haven't done this in a long time. Can you help me? What do I say? Um, so I'll have them, you know, get to the point where they're just kind of naming their sins. Um, and then once they finished actually like naming their sins and confessing their sins, then I'll usually try to offer some kind of counseling or, um, you know, and that's the thing too, you have some that you can tell they're coming, you know, they came last week or they came two weeks ago and this is the checkup one. And so, you know, I don't have to give like serious counseling every single time because it just gets redundant. And so sometimes what I'll do is I'll ask like, of all the sins you've committed, which one do you want to work on the most? Try to keep it practical for them because they're looking at trying to, to, to fix these little things, you know. Um, sometimes like the kind of the big one is very obvious where, you really know what you can kind of hone in on and, and help the person with this particular sin. Some people will just say right off the bat, Father, the one I'm struggling with the most is X. Uh, and so that tells me what I can, what kind of advice I can try to offer and, and help there. And then try to also cater the penance to helping to undo that sin. Um, there are times where I'll ask clarifying questions because what happens a lot is I'll get these generalities um, where people will say like, Father, I committed impurities. And, I'm, uh, it, and I'll tell them, I need you to be a little bit more specific. I need you to list specific sins. You know, are you talking about viewing pornography, lustful fantasies, uh, masturbation, things like that, you know, adultery, like um, I, I need you to say more than just I committed impurities. And it's not like a menu at McDonald's either. You know, I have sometimes people will come and say, Father, I committed sins against the fourth commandment, the sixth commandment, the ninth commandment. 
It's like it's not like going to McDonald's and ordering a number nine, you know. Um, so I did the number actually, nine today. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 it's. I'm like, okay, no, I need you to actually tell me what the sins you committed are, <laughs> um, and. Uh, and, and especially look when I'm hearing confessions at six 30 in the morning on Sundays and my brain's not fully functional. Like, I don't want to have to sit there and think, okay, well, the fifth commandment is thou shalt not kill. So I'm, you know, no, I want you to actually tell me the sins. Um, and also there's a reason for that too. And I, I say this all the time um, is that by naming our sins, we have a power over them. Um, when we have something's name, it's the reason why in Genesis, Adam and Eve named the creatures in the garden, they have authority over the creatures. It's the same reason why an exorcist will try to get the demon's name, uh, because once you have its name, you have authority over it to cast it out. Same thing with naming our sins. By naming our sins, we have power over them as opposed to them having power over us. That's good. I'm actually writing that down right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Look, I tell people this all the time. You know, yeah. Why, why confess your sins to a priest? It's more for us than it is for anything else, you know, because Again, God wants us to have that power over our sins to reject them, and in the confessional with the priest is the safest place to do that. Again, we're, you know, we're composite beings of body and soul, and so with that, by physically using our senses, using our ability to speak, to, to use our entire being and casting off sin, that's why we do that. Yes, God knows our sins, and we can confess our sins to God, but by vocalizing them to someone and hearing the words back, I absolve you from your sins. Um, it really is more for us than anything else. For sure. Amber, anything you want to add? This is your show too. <laughs> we, keep, we keep talking. <laughs> no, nah, it's all good. I want to say that it's very accurate, actually. Um, I noticed that I had a lot more conviction once in naming the sins because I did have a priest who, I had two priests, okay? I had one that was extremely, not like hardcore, like he was very forgiving, like very, very, understanding and you know but he gave us like hard penances and he made sure we understood the gravity of our sin and then I had another priest where I could just say oh I made a sin against you know the first or second commandment and he would have just accepted that um and so it was a lot like my my spiritual life started changing a lot more when I started actually naming my sins and and, and because it gave me a sense of conviction because a I'm telling it to somebody who actually knows me and even though he does have the um the grace of forgetfulness or whatever he was gifted with that from God where he can just forget sins right away, which most, you know, priests pray for that. Um, he like being able to name them and just like say them out loud, it made them real, but then it also made it real that I could battle it. And then I was able to overcome it a lot easier once I named it. So. Right. Right. Good. Amber, you're always, uh, you constantly posting on this, talking about this, <clears throat> you're a big supporter of pro-life movement. Mm -hmm. So people that have committed an abortion, this is one of the worst sins. Right. Right. Would, yeah, for sure. And that's, that's one thing that I feel like a pe people tend to misunderstand is it, it's, it's a very bad sin because you're ending the life of another. Um, but the thing is, is that doesn't mean you do not deserve forgiveness and you don't deserve healing. Right. Father Dan, I think some people might be familiar with the terms original sin or ancestral sin. How are these different from what we're talking about now? Right. So original sin is, is really the sin committed by Adam and Eve, um, you know, in the garden. And, and what happens is the effects of that original sin um, is what has trickled down to every single person uh, born afterwards. Uh, and so with that, 
everyone is born kind of with the sense of original sin, the exception being Mary, you know, by the prevenient grace that, that Christ um, gave to her. Um, this prevenient grace saves her from the effects of original sin. Um, and so with that, you know, the reason why we baptize, even baptizing infants, um, is so that we can wash away that stain of original sin, you know, uh, and so we're no longer slaves to that. Um, as far as ancestral sins, you know, uh, that happens sometimes where uh, in many cases, it's believed that, you know, sins committed by somebody's ancestors can trickle down the generations. Um, and this is something that exorcists talk about as well. You know, um, there are instances where you will have um, people suffering with different afflictions, different kind of spiritual um, afflictions, where uh, you ask them their history and, you know, they have parents or, or somebody in their family who was uh, involved with like voodoo or Wicca or things like that. Um, these occult practices where um, they're using whether it be white magic or black magic, which the church does not distinguish between, um, it sees both forms as, as being problematic, um, where the effects can be put on other people, um, specifically if you, people make like generational curses as well. Um, and so that's, that's kind of what we see sometimes. In the Gospels especially, too, you look at, and actually the last few days for daily Mass, we've had a lot of readings about healings, um, where it was some sense is seen that these afflictions like the withered hand or or people born blind or deaf or mute uh, was seen as, uh, as, as results of generational sin. Um, and so that's kind of what, you know, at least the ideas are with those. You mentioned baptism as a kind of way of wiping away original sin. How do you protect yourself being an offspring of something that was ancestral sin? If your grandmother was a witch, what do you do to get rid of that? What, how do you, how do you go into church and get that stink off of you? What's the solution to that? <laughs> um, that's where, you know, that's where you might have to actually, you know, contact, uh, you know, an exorcist or in some cases, not even an exorcist. You know, there are prayers that, uh, that non-exorcist priests can do for, for deliverance and healing prayers. And so there are some, uh, in fact, actually, uh, you know, Amber had mentioned Father Chad Ripperger, um, who has some great material on exorcism and spiritual warfare. Uh, there's actually an app uh, that I have on my phone called the Exorcism App. And he has a category for uh, non-exorcist priests. So these are prayers that I can use as an ordinary diocesan priest um, for spiritual deliverance for people. And, uh, and I've used several of them before, you know, perimeter prayers, healing prayers, breaking of, of generational curses and things like that. Um, so if someone feels like they are maybe afflicted by something um, uh, and maybe in Cajun terms, we call that the gree-gree, <laughs> um, you know, uh, you, you can see your priest and ask them to see if they could do some of those prayers. And I've used them before. I've actually used them in confession, you know, um, things like breaking soul ties, you know, uh, things of that nature. Um, a lot of things that really aren't theologized about a lot on an academic level. Um, they're more theologized about on a practical level, because when you're actually practicing um, these sacraments and, and, and having to minister these sacraments, you realize that there are realities that are not so well defined by theology at the academic level um, that we need to be able to face on a practical level. Yeah, for sure. I'm curious, you know, if an let's say an event happens to someone, maybe they're attacked or victimized, raped, held at gunpoint, they go through some traumatic event. That's not really necessarily something that they confess because they didn't, you know, they didn't commit the crime on themselves, but can a priest or a confession be used for a form of therapy for that? Can a woman who's been raped come to you and have a conversation with her priest about what she went through? And is that done in a confessional type setting or is that different? 
Yeah, it could it it could be done in confession, and that's happened before. Where you know people still struggle with like the guilt and the shame of that. You know, I see, I see. Um, and confession is a very good place to come and, and talk about shame and guilt. You know, um, because while they didn't commit those sins, there there may be sins of like despair that linger. You know, and trying to get them to again name that sin of like, are you despairing because of this? Have you lost hope because of this? You know, not that it's really your fault, but at least to say, you know, are these things that you entertain like like the negativity of? You know, um, and so that's a place to talk about it. Um, spiritual direction is great as well. We do um, distinguish spiritual direction from confession. And that's sometimes, like I mentioned with like diagnosing, why is a person here? Sometimes what people want more isn't so much confession, but like spiritual direction. They're trying to figure out, you know, what can we do? And so there are times where I'll tell somebody in confession, you know, um, this is an issue that, um, that I want to spend more time working with you about. So if you would like to, um, catch me outside confession, because again, what happens in confession stays in confession. You know, I'll tell them, catch me outside of confession and say, Father, I'd like to meet for spiritual direction. Uh, so we can actually take more time, you know, in the internal forum, stays in the internal forum, so it stays between us, not to the degree of the, the seal of confession, but at least in spiritual direction, it is internal forum where it stays between us, um, to work on issues more focused so that they can hopefully find more practical ways or just more freedom in being able to do that. So yeah, that can happen in confession as well. And Amber, you have your uh, confessions at the Dunkin' Donuts, right? By your house? Oh, yeah, completely. And my main, my main confession is I drink too much Dunkin' Donut. You order some donut holes, mm-hmm. confess yeah. your sins at the table there. Yeah, and I'm just like, yeah, the other day. To the day counter had... girl, right? Is that yeah, I, sometimes, sometimes I have to confess that I went to Starbucks. And <laughs> oh. I think that one's usually a pretty well, I'm rough guilty one. of that one today. Yeah. <laughs> Amber walks into Dunkin' and I guarantee they'll ask, you want the usual? Yeah. <laughs> You're one of those where they, yep. 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 They and see the her funny, car in the parking lot. They're already making her drink. Well, the funny, <laughs> the funny thing is, is that one of the old managers that used to work there that knew me, my mom's and my dad's regular order. Um, she ended up getting transferred somewhere else. And so on a sticky note by the sliding door, it says Amber's <laughs> order and it has like my oh, order on weird. it. <laughs> so they're just like, uh, what can I get you today? I'm like, I'm Amber. And they're like, we got you. <laughs> <laughs> as, much, as much as you plug dunkin donuts i think we need to start getting their ads on your show yeah. <laughs> i mean starbucks could never do that <laughs> we need to get some sponsorships for these podcasts. yeah we need some sponsorship we've been <laughs> plugging duncan a little too much hundred thousand tiktok followers duncan's <laughs> listening otherwise i'll start making my own coffee jk can't do that that's nasty right right <laughs> you'll be getting white castle coffee <laughs> <laughs> do they make coffee i think so White Castle coffee is pretty, pretty good from what I hear, actually. So who knows? I have to try it sometime. Anyways, we're all confessing our coffee sins right now. <laughs> I have a question, Father Dan, and for you, Amber. Um, what happens to a person that holds their sins inside them? They don't ever talk about them or bring them up. Father Dan, you want to go first? Yeah. Um, so, you, Todd, you're, I guess you're talking about like outside of confession with that or like in confession, because there's, there's kind of both ways we can take that. Well, well, you know, I hadn't really considered that if they're not coming okay, yeah, let's go both. all the um, details in confession. I was thinking of just uh, any normal person that goes through life and just keeps the stuff okay, bottled yeah, up and never talks yeah, about it yeah. was my initial question, but certainly go right. with what you want. Okay. Yeah. Um, so and it's the thing too, because even as a priest, I still go to confession. Um, you know, there are times where like, even like, like for me, not going to confession, in short periods of time, right? I just start feeling like nastiness and the gunkiness. 
um, in many ways, like I can't imagine what it's like to, to go like years without confession. I imagine that, you know, for a lot of people, and I, I can kind of go by what I do hear sometimes is that, you know, people just say like, I feel heavy, you know, or, or what I hear oftentimes after a confession is, I feel like I have such a huge weight lifted off. Um, I think what happens with a lot of people who don't ever go to confession um, is, is you just kind of get used to that weight. And then until it's lifted, you didn't realize how heavy that weight was. Uh, I would imagine that's kind of like the effect of what happens there. Um, you know, the effects of the sin are still there, you know, um, in, in many ways, because also like this is the means that God gives us to receive his mercy. Can he work outside the sacraments? Yes, we say he can. But this is the designated way he wants us to receive his mercy, again, for our own good. Um, as regards, you know, people who in confession, you know, they, they confess their sins, but they're like intentionally withholding a sin. Um it kind of, in a sense, invalidates the confession because there's not true contrition there. Um, they haven't expressed the sin, uh, and it kind of makes things worse walking out. Um, you know, so uh, because I'll give absolution as long as you give me a valid confession and you give me, you know, an act of contrition. But you know, if they withhold the sin and I don't know that, you know, there are some priests who have the ability to kind of read consciences and read hearts and confessions. I don't have that gift, um, but so for me, like I'm going based on what you give me. Um, but it is a grave sin to withhold sins in confession. Uh, if you forget a sin, that's one thing, you know, and so usually like I'll, uh, I'll finish my own confessions or people will finish their confessions with me with, for these and any sins I've forgotten, I ask the Lord for his mercy and forgiveness. Um, so that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of the two routes we can really go with that. Amber, do you want to add to that? Yeah. So, uh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I was just going to reiterate the question to you of what mm -hmm. happens to people that kind of keep their sins bottled up. Right. Well, what was what um, Father Dan was talking about, the sins who have that, or the sins, the priests who have that um, gift of being able, I think it was Padre Pio and also St. John Vianney, who both had that gift of being able to tell when people were lying to them um, or not telling the complete truth in confession. And it, it, it you know, I believe um, I mean, just from my own experience, being away from the faith for so long and having a ton of sins on my soul from being in just a really bad group and just constantly doing things that were not morally right. Um, it almost brings on a spiritual depression. Um, if I'm being honest and keeping those things within you is basically just like, I, I don't want to say the I want to say like um, spiritual suicide almost. Uh, it's it's you're keeping all of these things inside of you when in reality um, they're suffocating you from the inside out. Um, and so when you go into confession and you don't confess a sin um, because you're either afraid to last minute or something, that's if I'm correct, Father Dan, that's the sin of sacrilege. Yes. Yes. Um, and so you don't want to do that because you end up, you know completely disregarding the entire confession. And so, and also it's better to get those big sins off, you know? And again, like Father Dan said, if you forget that's different, you just come back to confession. Um, but yeah, yeah. Interesting. I, oft, I often thought of people that bottle these things up. It couldn't be like a spiritual corruption or a, like a cancer of the soul in a way, if they don't get that out. And that, that heavy feeling I think is uh, your body's way of saying you probably need to let go of some of this tension right. and anxiety. And I think some of that can also come from spiritual warfare. Cause when we're in mortal sin, we no longer have, uh, that, um, 
friendship with God, we've kind of severed that until we go to confession. When it's venial sin, we've harmed our friendship with God, but we haven't completely severed it. Mortal sin severs us. Um, and so when it comes to that, I think a lot of the time people don't go to confession be when they're in mortal sin because of diabolic influence. I'm not sure if Father Dan can attest to that, but I, I've noticed that a lot in my own peers. Yeah, I would certainly say that there's definitely like some like a degree of like demonic like oppression that can come from that, you know. Um, nothing too, we hear the word like demonic activity. It's not just um, possession, you know. Temptation is actually the most ordinary form of demonic activity. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of that, any of these avenues of demonic activity can really kind of manifest themselves from things like withholding sins and confession, um, you know, the obsession, things like that, uh, I think particularly would be the, uh, the afflictions associated. You see. And, you know, you talked earlier about someone confesses their sins and then uh, there's a punishment in a way. Is that accurate to say? Like, what, what do you require a person to do after they've confessed their sins? What's an example? You're not sending them to the mines of Moria to work in them. You know, you're not like, it's not like that. Like, what are they expected to do to kind of make a penance? So for me, it, it, it depends a lot on like what they confess. I'm listening to specific things. Um, there are some times where like, um, depending like how many confessions I'm hearing, where I'll give the same penance. Um, you know, for example, like when, we, when I do confessions for our third and fourth graders here at the cathedral school, because for a lot of these kids, they're, they're still kind of developing the habit of going to confession. Um, and because let's, let's be honest, they're kids, they probably have a, a very short attention span. Um, I try to give them all the same penance. And, and oftentimes I'll tell the teacher ahead of time, look, I'm just going to give them one hour father. You can have them pray it together after they all go to confession. Um, just to kind of get them in the habit there. So it, it's catered a lot to the penitent. So that's like, for example, a young penitent, a group of young penitents. Um, whereas for other sins, um, you know, I'm listening for things like, a, you know, um, like a particular vice, especially maybe a capital sin or one of the seven deadly sins and trying to figure out a penance from there. Sometimes I'll give, you know, I'll ask somebody, you know, how do you like to pray? If someone says, Father, I'm really struggling with praying more, and I'm not praying as much as I should be. So I'll ask, like, how do you like to pray? What is the most effective way for you to pray? And I'll try to give them a penance to do something like that. Um, or someone struggling with things like gluttony, like after the holidays, guess what? People are always eating too much for the holidays. So um, I'll try to encourage them to do some kind of fasting. Or people say, Father, I'm on social media too much. Then I'll say, okay, well, how about like tomorrow you fast from social media all day? Uh, things like that. Something practical that actually helps them to uproot the penance. Um, so that way, uh, not uproot the penance, I'm sorry. A penance to uproot the vice. Uh, so that there, there's actually the sense of spiritual growth here and not just, you know, coming and getting cleaned up, but then falling into the same sins over and over again. I see. Are your responses different for people that might have a, 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 you mentioned social media, and I think a lot of people could look at that as an addiction because it does appeal to the reward center of your brain. Video games do that. But what about harder vices? Like, is your approach different to someone who might be um, a, a deep alcoholic or a drug user? And, and what is the stance for people that, you know, smoke cigarettes or marijuana, things like that? Is that are those, are those sins in a way or you know, because yeah. marijuana is legal in some states, it's not like how do you know what I mean? Like, there's it seems like there's a yeah. lot of again gray so areas in these places. with a lot of that, especially when it comes to like sins of addiction. Um, this is where going back to those those criteria for mortal sin, um, you're looking at um, 
so the grave matter might be there. Like obviously, like you, these are very destructive habits. Um, but the uh, their ability to intend what they're doing might be missing. There might be, you know, there might be far less culpable if this is an addiction. And let's be honest, like addictions, uh, you know, unless by the grace of God, you know, literally the grace of God, you can quit cold turkey. Most people can't. Most people, it's a recovery process. It takes a long time for them to overcome addictions. Um, and so with that, we know that, that their intent, their ability to consent to this mortal sin is hampered because this is an addiction. There's a, um, there's a, what's the other word, uh, a dependency on these things. And so with that, the, their culpability would probably be lessened in those cases. Um, and so that's what we're looking at. Again, that's why this is a sliding scale. Uh, you know, we're looking at, yeah, there might be some grave matter, but again, are they able to really like stop doing this cold turkey? Um, and so with that, like with penances and stuff, we'll try to, I'll try to give them, um, you know, like, I can't just say, okay, well, fast from this the rest of your life. Like that's unreasonable. That's an unreasonable penance that probably can't be done. Um, and so with that, try to wean them, help them wean them off of, of things by saying, okay, can you, can you cut down like one cigarette tomorrow than what you normally smoke um, or things like that? You know, so a lot of it is trying to figure out, um, or even with prayer, you know, we could give them prayer to say, you know, um, especially the Psalms, you know, there's a particular uh, feeling or emotion associated with their addiction to try to get them to look up a Psalm that will help with, with voicing that emotion. Um, is how that can potentially work as well. Good, good. You were catching me mid drink of water. Yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was so Amber would jump in when I was just. Todd's got drink. water. Amber's got Dunkin'. I got an energy drink, so it's all good, man. We're covering I'm, all the bases today. Right? <laughs> and I and I only really have one last question before we wrap this up. Um, I'm curious, you know, moving forward in a person's life near death, maybe last rites. Is there a final confession? Is there one last deathbed confession a person should make? How does that process work? Yes. So, you know, what used to be really known as last rites, we would call extreme unction nowadays. Um, extreme unction being your last sacraments. Um, and those would be three, would be um, confession, anointing of the sick, and communion. Um, and so on a person's deathbed, if they can receive all three of those, we would love for them to receive them. Um, and so, yes, if possible, you know, people, uh, um, if they're cognizant enough to, to go to confession, we'll have them do confession. We'll give them anointing of the sick. If they can receive communion, we'll do that as well. What oftentimes happen is, is sometimes people, uh, just maybe just unknowingly, and, and it's, it's always hard to judge the time frame for somebody dying. Um, where they, it, it, they maybe go downhill faster than you expect, and they're no longer cognizant. They're still alive, but you know, they're not, uh, they have no cognitive function. Uh, they can't swallow anything, so they really can't receive communion. Uh, we could try to maybe give them a drop of the precious blood, um, but they really can't confess their sins, and so we'll just give them anointing of the sick, and then we'll give them the apostolic pardon. If possible, yes, um, a lot of people on their deathbed want to make a last confession, you know, because they want to, they really want to get right with God before they pass away. And so th that's always an encouragement. And I tell people all the time, you know, like, don't wait until the person's like comatose or don't wait until, you know, um, uh, until like they, you really think they're dying like today, like don't wait that long, you know, um, if you can, like if someone's sent home on hospice, you know, that normally means the end's coming sooner rather than later. So get a priest to come do those sacraments now, um, you know, 
Uh, and so while they still have that cognitive function, while they're still able to, to actually swallow something, I would encourage people, you know, really try to call a priest before the last minute, because guess what, if they're dying, like in, in the next half hour, like, you know, sometimes it's hard for us to get away from our commitments already as, as priests. Um, and that happened to me last night, actually, somebody was dying in a hospital and, and a neighboring priest couldn't make it. He asked if I could go. I had confessions in mass. I was about to start doing, it's like, I can't, I can't leave that, you know? Um, and so for the sake of, of trying to get the unavailable priest, like don't wait till the last minute. A hospital chaplain can't really do any of that stuff. Can they? The hospital chaplains can the problem. And this is the thing too, you know, that when we're recording this episode, um, we're in kind of mid late January. Um, we have a hospital chaplain who actually lives at the cathedral with me. Um, but he is on vacation right now. Um, we have several priests on vacation. This is the time of year right after Christmas and New Year where a lot of priests will take vacation or take retreat time um, because it's a very short period of time to have between now and Lent. And once Lent and Easter come around, it's hard to get away because we do so much during those seasons. So this is a prime time of the year where we have a lot of priests on retreat, a lot of priests on vacation. Our hospital chaplain is back in India right now for two weeks visiting his family, which is his right to do so. Um, uh, we have the, the priest who called me yesterday. His father uh, is having medical issues, so he wasn't able to, to, to be at his parish to take care of that. You know, um, And so that's the thing is it, a lot of it depends on the availability of the priest. We do have hospital chaplains, but again, when the hospital chaplain is on vacation, then we have to try to coordinate between the rest of the priest, you know, who can go cover X and X, a hospital or parish, you know? Yeah. Well, guys, I think this was great. This was a good episode. I think certainly uh, there's a lot of information for people in all stages of their their spirituality right now, and uh, certainly answered a lot of questions for me personally. Amber, do you have anything left you want to add? No, not that I can think of. I think we covered it fairly well. And just uh, since we are broadcasting this one over everyone's podcast, Amber, tell everyone how they can find you out there in the interwebs. Yeah, so I have my own podcast, of course, which this is on. So, you know, that's the Catholic's perspective with the religious hippie, in case you're listening to this on Todd or Father Dan's. And then I have a YouTube channel called The Religious Hippie, and you can basically follow me on any other media platform just by typing in The Religious Hippie, and I'll pop up. And Father Dan, you? Yes, so my podcast is called The Karate Priest Podcast, and uh, we have an Instagram and a Facebook page and also an email. So especially for any questions you have for a priest, any burning questions you've ever wanted to ask a priest, you can email me those at thekaratepriest at gmail.com. Great, great. And of course, I'm Todd. My podcast is Quest, and you can find that at anchor.fm forward slash metatomics, or you can just search metatomics and find me out there on all social medias. So everyone, thanks for coming out today. I hope everyone likes this and I hope we can do more of these where we all get together and, and discuss a topic. Yeah, thanks everybody for meeting up. This is great. Oh yeah, awesome. Take care everyone, bye-bye. All right, bye. questions or comments about today's episode, email me at thereligioushippie at gmail.com or leave a voice message at anchor.fm forward slash thereligioushippie. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please be sure to rate and review this episode. This podcast is produced by Todd Fisher and distributed by Metacortex Publishing. This podcast is copyright. 
Any previously trademarked or copyright content is used by permission. Information and opinions stated in this podcast should not be construed as medical advice. Please be sure to visit the official website for the International Association of Metatomics at metatomics.org or find us on social media for other unique content.